Let Me Ask You is a podcast for grown-ups. In this episode, we discuss the topics of anxiety and depression. If you or someone you love is struggling with mental health, please call the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline at 988 or seek professional help. Listener discretion is advised. Enjoy. Welcome back, our beloved audience, to Let Me Ask You, the podcast. There she is. Today, we are joined by Brian Sachetta, who is um, a self-proclaimed anxiety and depression expert. I'm just kidding. He's never said that. <laughs> he has never said that. Um, we're with Brian Sachetta, uh, an author and an advocate for uh, men's mental health, as long as depression and anxiety. And we're here to talk to him a bit today about his experiences and the lessons that he has for others and hopes that they can find a little bit of comfort in his teachings. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Clay. Glad to be here. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, definitely. I am an author in the mental health space, uh, also a software developer, but we will focus on the author piece. So I'm the owner uh, of a brand called Get Out of Your Head. Uh, it's not only uh, a brand, but it's also a book series. So everything that I do with the brand is centered around helping folks overcome anxiety and depression. So whether it's through the books, through my blog posts, uh, podcast appearances, things like that. Um, the approach that I try to bring, right, is sort of like a layperson's one where it's like, I do not pretend to be a, a clinician or somebody who has gone through, uh, you know, actual mental health training and have, uh, you know, I don't have a diploma or anything like that. Uh, what I do have is real world experience with these diseases, like a lot of people who are listening in do. And I try to bring that experience to my writing uh, in hopes of connecting a little bit better with the reader or, you know, in a podcast, I'll bring it in in hopes with connecting uh, with the listener. So uh, yeah, that's kind of the overall vibe. If you're just joining us this is your first episode here and let me ask you, congratulations, you found the number one podcast in the world. Look us up on Google. Literally type in, let me ask you. You won't find anything else. Promise you that. Jake is somehow still amazed that we can be found on Google. <laughs> it's You can find anything on Google. It's a search engine. Brian, let's start at the beginning. What inspired you to create this brand? Yeah, this is a question that I do, like I get a lot right on podcasts. Um, it's funny because there are so many different stories that I could point to. And so it's hard to pick a, you know, the specific one. Um, but at the same time, like I'll try to give highlights, right? So I, I think back to high school and college. I remember in college having this panic attack early on in front of a woman that I liked or you know, a girl at the time, we were both uh, 18 years old, we're just kids, right? And, uh, and kind of like waking up the next day and being like, what the hell was that? That was so horrible, so embarrassing so terrifying. What am I dealing with, right? Am, am I a normal person? Well, what label do I put on uh, this sort of experience? How do I move forward from it? Um, that was that was an early entry point into my journey, right? And then I think I was figuring out how to move forward with these conditions, whether it's anxiety or depression, for a long time. Um, and eventually, you know, probably seven years later, came around to being like, okay, I, I, a long time ago, I had said, once I figure out what some of this stuff is, I want to try to give back, whether it's through writing a book, starting a blog, something like that, giving information to readers, to listeners. You know, at the age of 25, I, I looked back and I was like, I have a lot of information now. I've kind of gotten to that place that I hoped to be at. And so around that age, I was like, okay, let me start, you know, distilling this information down, figure out what I'm working with here. Uh, and that eventually led to me writing my first book, which is the one on anxiety. And from there, it's kind of like, once you have a brand, right? Once you feel as though this is a calling or a mission or something, 
the the work just continues, right? It's like whether you know it, you, I, I you know I went through, for example, a depressive episode in 20, 2018. and because I had the brand going, it was just like, all right, we're going to apply the same methodologies and try to you know learn from this experience and then turn that whole thing into a book. So that is the really really high level journey there. We can't read your entire book on during this episode, but in your own words, what does it mean to you for someone to get out of their own head? Yeah, it, it, it kind of comes down to understanding that your mind is is rarely your friend, right? There are tasks where you need your mind, right? If you're an accountant, if you're a scientist and need to do research, um, your mind can be helpful, right? But when you start chewing over the same ideas and you start trying to dissect your own emotions, that's where you quote unquote get into your head. Um, and I think most people who suffer from anxiety and depression eventually reach a point where they're like, this is not helpful, right? Me being inside my own head is not actually leading me anywhere. So th what it means to get out of your head is to drop those thoughts, right? Drop the rumination, drop the questions. Uh, now, obviously a lot easier said than done. I think one of the main reasons for that is all of this happens on a subconscious level, right? And sometimes it's 30 minutes before we even truly realize what it is that we're doing. But my entire brand and you know the, the content that I write all serves in the aim of trying to just help people understand, like get get closer to that point of awareness of saying like, okay, maybe maybe I'm not going to have that skill tomorrow to be able to stop myself in that thinking process and be like, I'm done. But as I work a little bit harder, you know, maybe a year from now, I will have a little bit more of that, um, I don't know, uh, awareness muscle, we'll call it. Where do you think some of your shortcomings were um, during your depressive episodes um, where you were struggling to get out of your own head? Like what was the breaking point where you thought that you could overcome this and stop sort of like chewing at the same ideas? Some of it, I don't know. I, I would say some of it was sort of like, I, I, I almost look at that episode as uh, something of like a coming to adulthood sort of thing where it was like almost losing childhood innocence and, and coming to terms with the fact that, you know, and some of this won't make sense because we haven't necessarily done the background, right? Or given the background, but you know, I was 28 years old and uh, basically kind of had a bit of a quarter life crisis. And at the time, I think I was just lost, right? It was like, I kind of wasn't on a direction that, uh, or a path in life that really served me that I was excited about. I also, for one reason or another, you know, I started learning a lot about climate change and all, all these things that were going on in the world uh, that were not so positive, right? And it was like, uh, and I think I will be able to answer the, the actual question in a second, right, is um, I learned all these things at the same time it was sort of this whirlwind of emotions, almost this confluence of, of negative things. And at the time, I guess I guess sort of the the insight that I didn't have was or like maybe maybe I had it, but I just didn't know how to apply it was like when you're overwhelmed by so much negative information, uh, you eventually get to the point of almost learned helplessness where you're like, there's so much garbage going on right now that I cannot even resist these thoughts, right? I, I have to chew them over. They're going to keep flooding uh, over me. Uh, so I think in, you know, in 2018, that specific episode, I had trouble again, you know, in a different fashion, right? Rather than anxiety, it was applied to depression. I had trouble putting those thoughts down. I had trouble stopping the process of thinking about a lot of those scary and daunting ideas. Um, and some of it too was like, starting to, you know, really think about my own beliefs, right? It's like, uh, when you go down the path of thinking about climate change and getting older and all that stuff, you think about life and death and existence. And those are big and scary topics, right? And if you don't necessarily have 
firm beliefs to land on or like a foundation to hold you up, when you start thinking about those things, you can go to some really dark places. So at the time there, I, I didn't have that sort of foundation. I'm not saying I necessarily have a super strong one now, but I definitely have a better one than I did before. That's actually a really interesting point that you make. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day um, where I stated that a lot of people are scared of death. And I think in a, in a way I am too, but not because um, like dying is scary. I think not knowing what happens after we die is scary. So it's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people um, point to like religion and such things um, as sort of an answer as to what happens to sort of alleviate that feel, fear, which then feeds into the notion where all these uncertainties and the fear of the unknown lead to worrying uh, and lead to things like depression, where you keep chewing at the same ideas and you're not focused on the now because um, you know that the now will soon be non-existent and you're trying to make a game plan for what comes after, but you have no clue what comes after. So you have no real way to prepare. Yeah. I mean, you hit the nail on the head. That was, that was really what was going on inside my own mind during that period. And I think you look at the world today, right? It's like, I would love to sit here and be like, I am a devout Catholic. Cause you know, you know, like I'm not trying to cast judgment on any one religion or person or anything like that, but you know what a devout Catholic does not have to worry about like existential angst, what happens after you know you die and all that stuff. On my best days, I'm like, you know what? There is a God, there is order and purpose to this world, and, and I will find my way in it. On my bad days, which I think probably a lot of people can relate to, those beliefs either start to shift a little bit or, or we start to doubt them. And then all of a sudden it's like, I'm depressed and all of a sudden life is meaningless and oh my goodness, I'm back into this terrible whirlpool. I think that they, at some point that there was a, a switch that flipped and because I, I would have those ideas too. Um, and it was really easy to just be down and accept defeat because it's, it's really easy to lay there, right? And I forget who said it, but it's like, um, it's okay to like fall down. It's okay to lose. But if I come back after a week and you're still laying there, that's on you, right? I think it's also within my power and it's my right to find my own purpose and find my own reason for living and being happy and living in the present. Yeah, dude, there's absolutely no doubt about it. You are so right on that one. I, I kind of want to torpedo this for a second. Like yeah. it's a good, it's a good torpedo. <laughs> so, so I, I, I found myself in that same sort of place, right? In 2018 yeah. and I, I guess not even really, sometimes, you know, there is grace in your life where things happen and, you know, you were in a certain sort of place, something occurs, something comes into your life that you didn't plan for, but it, it sets you back on a good path, right? And so sometimes we find that purpose, we find that mission without even necessarily looking for it or understanding what we are trying to do is, you know, I, I really started leaning into more into, uh, you know, my own brand and like really trying to help people and putting out more content. At the same time, I, you know, I got a new job uh, or, you know, shortly, shortly after the depressive episode that I felt really good about. And I was fired up to like, just make cool things again, right? I'm an engineer. That's engineers build stuff. It's fun. Um, so I guess fast forward a couple of years later, right? So this was last January. I went to Florida. There's a place that you can go do a uh, psychedelic called ayahuasca. Uh, it's basically like this tea that it, uh, the active ingredient is DMT in it is DMT. And you, depending on what, you know, what your history, your experience is like, uh, what your life has been like, you will, you will see different things. You will hear different things. You will get different lessons. And none of this, none of this preamble is to say that, uh, I can, yeah, I recommend that people go out and do this stuff. Like you need to be really careful with these sorts of drugs. One of the, the main messages that I got from this experience, and it was like kind of the tail end of the quote unquote trip 
you, you, you hear these voices sometimes, like when, when you're on the drugs. Um, and uh, one, the, the voice that I was talking to was telling me, it was like, dude, it, going back to Jake's point, the thing was like, you are so concerned about like all these larger than life issues about death and existence and climate change and whatever is like really this like uh, Jordan Peterson kind of vibe of like, go clean your room. It was like, dude, get your own life in order, right? Like clean your room sort of thing of like, make sure that you are happy first before you go out and try to change the world or try to take on these, these really big issues. Because what I guess what's going on there is like, sometimes our mind, it's, it's like a, a trick our mind plays on us to be like, I'm going to ignore what's going on in here uh, by thinking about what's going on in the larger outer world. Um, and it's almost because I think because we are afraid to really do that inner work and, and like uncover unsettling things that are on, you know, the inside of our souls and our minds. It's because we find comfort in that. You spend so long focusing on these harsh realities and these ideas, things that you literally can't fix, right? If everybody's going back to your analogy, if everybody's room is dirty and you're like, oh my God, everyone's room is so dirty. You have the power to make yours clean. You can't do shit for everybody else's room. Brian, in your in your first book, I, I'm going to be honest, I haven't read your second book, uh, but I, I've read most of your first book at this point. There's 10 steps to dealing with anxiety. And as I'm reading just the the titles of these steps, um, you know, I, I find it rings true for, for both anxiety and depression. What do you think is the most important step on that list? Uh, I'm going to give uh, the answer that I give a lot of the times, which is step one, which is to breathe. It's, you know, every time I say it, I, I want to give sort of a, uh, a preface in, in, in mentioning that, like, it's so obvious. It's almost like a bit of, uh, when I say it to people, like, I hope it's not offensive that it's so obvious. Right. Um, right. but the thing about breathing is like, when we get into our heads, we are, we are so detached from our bodies. We are all the way in there. Right. And there is science that shows us it's like, okay, you've got your autonomic nervous system. It's got the sympathetic part of it and the parasympathetic part of it. It's sort of like a triangle or a mountain, if you will, the sympathetic nervous system revs us up. The parasympathetic brings us back down. Uh, when we breathe and we inhale, uh, our heart rates accelerate a tiny bit. And when we breathe out um, or exhale, our, our heart rates go down a little bit. And so if we want to activate the parasympathetic part of our uh, autonomic nervous systems, we need to make sure that we're breathing deeply, but also like, you know, getting that, that, that large exhale at the end of our breath. Um, that's kind of the only way that we can really or reliably like to, uh, get ourselves out of the, the, the real like frantic state that we're in, right? Sure, we can think our way out of it or we could say like, hey, hey, I need to stop pondering this thought. Like those things help, but one of the most like powerful things and the things that thing that actually helps sort of reverse all everything that's going on inside of us is to get our body to get in line with us. And that helps, uh, that, that starts through our breathing. I think if I could maybe, I want to just preface the, ref the rest of the episode with uh, the fact that I, Clay, myself, am diagnosed with depressive anxiety disorder. And so these steps, I've seen these steps before. I've, I've used some of these steps and, and I feel like I'm, I'm talking mostly on my opinion, but also from a point of expertise because I've used this stuff before. And there's something really powerful about breathing, but not just breathing, stopping what you're doing and focusing solely on the way you're breathing. I teach and I use box breathing techniques. So you inhale four seconds, you hold that for four seconds to regulate what your body just felt. 
you exhale for four seconds and you hold that that air out of your body for four seconds it really slows everything down and gives you time to focus on something other than what you're other than what you're what's going on in your head it gives you something external to focus on absolutely and you need that that was a that was actually a really good way to to describe like the panic attacks i was having dude it was like <laughs> it was just like it started with like this uncontrollable worry and then i was worried about that worry and then it just kept stacking on each other and i was like <gasps> and then it's like why am i breathing so fast oh my god i'm breathing faster oh my god i'm so worried and then it was just literally that until i was just like <gasps> okay in control the first unfettered panic attack that i ever had that i remember and i i remember identifying it as a panic attack, right? The first time it ever happened. I've always been into audio equipment and music and I was in a guitar center, but I had my four-year-old son with me and I was so worried about, is he going to embarrass me? Is he going to break something? Is is something going to go wrong with this kid in the, in the, and I just remember like stopping in the store and I'm like, this is a safe space for me. Well, I don't, this is somewhere I'd like to be. Why do I feel like this right now? And I just stood there in like this frozen state and i remember this one like uh just a store employee he was like sir are you okay and i was like i don't even know where i'm at dude i gotta go i gotta get out of this store i don't want to be here anymore and that's what it was you know i was so focused about what i was saying in my head that i didn't realize what was going on in my body because the the mental the mental game of anxiety and depression sure that's that's the big part of it but all that stuff affects your body physically so once it develops into a physical reaction from your body that's when you start to lose it and that's why it's so important to stop what you're doing and breathe and bring that physical part of your body body back into your mindset yeah absolutely thanks for sharing that uh, i dude i was i was buying toothpaste and this can't be on a mic so i'll just i'll replicate with my my uh face my brain was like jake is currently has his mic muted and screaming and then i was fine dude i tried meditation for a while that was like one of the you ever meet like those um sort of like hippy dippy people that are just like yeah man like put your feet in grass man you'll feel better i'm like yeah you're onto something one of those hippy dippy friends told me i lied it was actually my therapist it was both they said to uh, <laughs> they said to literally youtube meditation Dude, it works. Like 100%, if you just you close your eyes, don't go to sleep, right? Probably don't do it in your bed because you're not supposed to sleep. Do it on the floor or something, like crisscross. And just listen to their voice. Just do as they're saying. It like The calmness will just rush over you. And for a split second, right? It'll come back. But for a split second, there's no worries in the world. And you're like, I'm breathing. I'm alive. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. Everything's good in the world. And then you get an ad for TurboTax. It reminds you that you didn't do your taxes this year. Going going back to the the steps, right? A lot of these steps that I see are are really points that meditation brings out, right? Breathing mm-hmm. is, yeah. is obviously the main focus of meditation. That is, it is for breathing exercises, uh, but also shifting your focus. Meditation is not about releasing all thought from your mind. You don't meditate and you sit there and you think about nothing. That's not what it is. Meditation is allowing thoughts to flow freely, shifting your focus from this thought to this thought if you hear a noise you shift your focus to that noise and then when the noise is gone you shift your focus away and reciting a powerful mantra some people when they meditate they recite a powerful mantra definitely and and just and just being present in that moment and nothing else because this is this is what i ask myself all the time right whenever i start to feel anxious or depressed i take a second i breathe and i ask myself one simple question what is wrong right now i like that man Right now, not not three minutes ago, not four hours later, right now in this moment, what is wrong? Dude, that's awesome. 
And the answer is usually nothing. The answer is usually, I'm chilling. What if it's something? Then you prioritize and you execute. You prioritize what is wrong and you decide what you can control about that situation. And then you change Mm -hmm. what you can change. Because in any situation, and and Brian, feel free to jump in whenever you want. In any situation, there's going to be an outcome. Something is going to come of a situation. And I like to keep it simple and just say like one of two things will happen. As long as you've done the mental processing to be okay with both of those outcomes, you got nothing to worry about. This could happen or this could happen. Yeah, I I, I like, so I, I guess where I would jump in, right? And say, I love that question you ask yourself. That is powerful, man. Like that is really cool. Um, and, and, you know, I think a lot of the times to speak to it, if, you know, you ask yourself, what is wrong right now? A lot of the times there is nothing wrong right now. It is, it is four hours from now, like you alluded to a week from now, whatever I will say, right. And I mean, this is, <laughs> it's not my own thing. It's just kind of speaking to anxiety in general is like looking at problems or like, uh, so anxiety, right. I say is future oriented fear. So it's, it's usually not things that are right in front of us. It's well, that's actually really like, cool. You know, it's, it's stuff that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's future oriented. Yeah. It's like, uh, and, and one of the tough things, and I will get back to the, where I was going with this in a minute, I, I hope to remember, but you know, if you look at like the way that human evolution occurred and just like thinking about us having lived in, you know, savannas and forests and stuff like that, the way that the nervous system developed, right. It's sort of this natural selection process where it's like survival of the, you know, the fittest or the most fit to one's environment, that sort of thing. If we were living for hundreds of thousands of years or whatever it was in front of ferocious predators and, you know, every day we had to go out and, and either fight them off or, or run from them, whatever it is, the nervous system eventually uh, sort of through this almost funneling process, right? It's like, if you were too slow or you, you were not creative enough to evade these predators, guess what? Sorry, man, you were lunch meat. But the, you know, sort of the rest of us who have survived or like our ancestors who then, you know, allowed us to be alive, those uh, to, or to be born or whatever, those were the people who had those really quick reactionary uh, nervous systems. And so if you think about the, like, what is the nervous system actually good at? It's good at immediate threats, things that are right in front of us. And the way that life sort of used to work, it was like, yeah, sure. You could all, uh, don't get me wrong. Like, I'm sure there were cave people who were like, oh God, I might be in front of a lion tomorrow. And that's scary. Right. But I think originally it's like the nervous system is trained and is amazing at immediate threats. The problem with anxiety is there are these possibilities. They may even be real threats, but they're not here today. They're, they're on the calendar. They're in the future, a day from now, a week from now, whatever it is. And guess what? The fight or flight system is, is one of action. It's like, I'm doing something right now to fight this thing off or flee it. And if a problem does not exist in front of you right now, guess what? Those strategies don't work. So it's this sort of shortcoming and the product of that shortcoming is none other than anxiety. I I definitely agree with you. And the thing about anxiety is it's part of the human condition, especially in the, in the age that we live in, when we are so focused on what's coming up, what's to come, what's next, you know, we're, we live in a very fast paced world and anxiety is just something that everyone is going to deal with at some point, right? Maybe some people might deal with it clinically. Some people might deal with just day-to-day anxiety, but everyone will experience anxiety. What's slightly harder to talk about which is where I want to shift focus is depression because here at let me ask you, we are both firm believers that depression is not sadness. Mm, There is sadness 
and then there's depression. You're supposed to be sad. There's 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 times you're supposed to humans evolved to be very emotional, um, interactive creatures with one another, and so we developed very fine-tuned emotions so that other people can identify what we're feeling. And one of those happens to be being sad. It allows the community to look at you and understand that you're experiencing some form of heartbreak or tragedy or something that's eliciting these emotions from you. And it's literally a cry for help because you're breaking down from within and the people see that and now they're coming to you to make you feel better. It's, it's, it's literally part of who we are. And that's not so much depression. I would say depression is it's it's less being sad. Imagine if every part of what made you you, all of your ambitions, all your hopes, all of the things that make you happy, you enjoy doing, the people you like talking to. Um, if one day all of that just flipped, it just turned off, and now your brain was just you turned into a different person. And it's almost like you're living in the husk of someone that you used to know. I don't know if that makes sense. And I'm trying my best to sort of describe it. I don't know if I'm doing it justice. I, I think you do a good job, Jake. I, I would describe it as similar to that. But Brian, I'm interested in how you would answer the question, what is depression? Yeah, no, Jake, I mean, that was that was great. And I think it was a nice, like, I, I you know, you can tell in listening to what you said that you have experienced that sort of thing. I, I like to distill this down and just say that depression is a pervasive state of hopelessness and helplessness. And it's sort of the, the degree to which we experience both of those emotions determines the manifestation of the depression itself, right? So if you look at, you know, if you look at the DSM-5 or you just talk to people, right? You, you've heard of all these conditions before. It's like postpartum depression, uh, bipolar disorder, seasonal affective disorder, uh, dysthymia. There are, there are many different diseases through which we can experience those emotions of hopelessness and helplessness, right? And so it's like, if we start to say, um, you know, what to what degree of each of those are we feeling and for, for what period of time, um, that's where we start, like, I guess that's where the definitions of the diseases themselves arise. And then that's kind of where it's like, uh, why I think it's helpful to come back to that sort of that signature of hopelessness and helplessness, because it's like, those are the two commonalities across all of the varieties of the of the the larger family of diseases, right? Yeah, and if I can just tack onto that, I, I hate the term depression, and I hate the fact that I've been I've been diagnosed with it too. There was a whole long string of events that happened, and it ended up being of and what he said was unspecified major depressive disorder. But I hate the the term depression, and I hate. I hate the fact that there's a label because if you give something a label, you give power to what that is. And I don't like that. I don't like saying, Oh, I have depression because it's an excuse. And I don't want to, I don't want to downplay the stuff that people have been through. So I don't think that I'm just like, Oh yeah, yeah you can just... but I don't like giving it credit. I don't like being held down or weighted by the, by a term. And I'm like, Oh, it's depression. And I play it off as that. And I'm just like, I don't know. I think it makes the fight easier when you're just like, this is just a temporary thing. I would disagree. Okay. I, I do like the label because it gives me an identifier. Yeah. It, it's kind of like, you know, Lord Voldemort. I'm not afraid of a name. Okay. <laughs> nice. I'm, I'm, I, not, I'm not afraid of it either. I'll, I'll, I'll name it because that's what it is, you know. And, and I would describe it as prolonged hopelessness. It, it's not mm -hmm. sadness. It's 
laying in bed because that's easier than doing anything that you need to do. Because when you get up and there's, there's things to do and you fear that like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do that. You know, I, I'm going to fail doing that. I'm just going to stay here because this is easier And, and not even easier or more comfortable. It's just that my body and my brain won't allow me to continue doing that. So Brian, what, what would you say are some of the most common reasons people experience depression in today's world? Yeah. So this opens up a bit of a can of worms that I think like in a good way, we could talk about this for, for a long time. Right. So I talk about in my second book, I say that, you know, again, I am not a clinician. So like, this is just my own layperson's take on the disease. It's my take of having been through it, right? And sort of understanding, talking to different people. I did a lot of interviews for the second book because I wanted to, I really wanted to know, like, am I right in like, and and I'm not trying to say like, I'm absolutely right. Uh, there's, there's things I get wrong all the time, but I wanted to be like, is what I'm saying, you know, correct on some level, right? So I wanted to get people's different uh, takes and experiences with the diseases. As I did more research, you start to learn how complex depression is or can be, right? It's like when we say, when you ask the question, Clay, why do some people get depressed? Where does it come from? Uh, All the research that I was doing pointed me in the direction of this thing called the biopsychosocial model. It's basically a framework for like evaluating where diseases come from and then also potentially how to treat them. So if you look at that word biopsychosocial, side note, but like one of my favorite words is, is portmanteau, which is like when you take words and combine them to form uh, uh, another word. And so biopsychosocial is one of those portmanteaus where uh, we take biological, psychological, and social. Um, and I guess the, I, you know, we take those three terms in order to say there are three high level buckets from which diseases can emanate. Um, and when it applies to depression, um, that's so, like that same concept applies, or I know I kind of just doubled that, that phrase or whatever, but so basically if we're looking at depression, right, we say there are fact, there are bio, biological factors that could come into play for us to feel despair. There are also psychological ones and social ones. Um, if you look at the research surrounding this model, uh, the theory is that like, it's almost as if, as if these three categories are like either spheres or like bi-directional roads that overlap with one with one another and affect one another. You could also say they're like a Venn diagram or something, right? Um, and so I guess again, or like another point of this theory, right, is like if you if you let's just say all three of them are buckets filled with water. Um, and you need a certain amount of water across all three buckets in order to feel as though you are happy or you are thriving or something like that. Um, so if somebody comes along and says, boom, I'm going to knock a big hole in your social bucket. Uh, And what that means is like, you're going to lose your job or you're going to lose a loved one or something like that. That bucket loses a lot of its water. And all of a sudden we don't have the, I'm I'm using, I'm using this extended metaphor, right? You don't, we don't have the required amount of water in our buckets to carry on. Um, The same thing could happen um, if we just remove uh, water from all three, all three of those buckets at the same time. So if we if we sort of say like, you know, what are those buckets or, or what what makes them up or how do they look something like that? Uh, biological, right? It's sort of uh, how do we use our bodies? Like uh, how, what foods do we eat? What is our neurochemistry like? What are, you know, what is our family history like? And, and uh, because of family history or related to uh, family history, you know, what are our genes like? Do we have, uh, you know, 
Do we have the encodings in our genes that make us more susceptible to depression? And then does lifestyle maybe, you know, trigger those genes to come on or something like that? Psychological is, is really just like thoughts and beliefs. So, you know, what is swirling around our mind at any given time? And then the social bucket is, is everything else, right? Again, it's jobs, families, career, uh, relationship, uh, where we live, things that we're doing for fun. So, uh, you know, I say sort of that, uh, unfortunately, depression can be a difficult and long battle because it's like, if your social bucket is empty, I, I hate to say it, and it's not to be, it's not meant to be daunting, but it's like, we can't really expect to go out and find five best friends tomorrow, you know, and maybe we don't need five best friends, but maybe we need one, right? Um, and I think understanding the battle that we are undergoing or the one that we need to take on um, is important because then, you know, going back to the idea of labeling, right? Like, like Clay, you said, it helps me uh, get an identifier. Uh, if we can say to ourselves, I know which of my buckets is leaking or has leaked or something like that, then maybe we can then create a map for ourselves and figure out what we then need to do uh, to find some healing. So, I think Flex Steel made a commercial about that. <laughs> you just yeah, got to no, no, sla don't, slap don't one laugh. on, right? Clay, don't fucking laugh at me, okay? Because he had the bucket, right? That could be your social bucket. And then here comes <sighs> Phil. Clay, seriously, can you just give me a chance on this? Phil Swift comes along with the knife of betrayal, right? And he just, that's a lot of damage, right? But guess what? Flex Seal. Flex Seal. Brian's, Brian's book. Little did you know this was becoming an ad. We have Flex Seal as a special sponsor for this one. Sponsor for <laughs> today's episode. Not Raid Shadow Legends. <laughs> not this time. Fuck you, Raid Shadow Legends. We actually reached out to Phil Swift and he adamantly declined our invitation. We so have better. no sponsor. Still. He said it would have been he said it would be career suicide to make a joke like that on your podcast. <laughs> and we said, don't tell us what to do. I said, what I'll ruin my career if I went to Phil Swift. Give a dumb so, name. <laughs> it's it's interesting that we talk about the social bucket, right? And I want I want to just take a minute to think about the social aspect of depression, right? Because there's things I do for like if if it's my body's not feeling right or if I'm socially, you know, overextended. But what I do because you can't you're right, you can't go out and make five best friends and sometimes your friends might be busy and and it's not their job to pull you out of the hole. It'd be nice if they did, right? It's a good thing for a friend to do, but it's not their job. Your emotions are your responsibility. So what I like to do, and this is not an endorsement, please, if you're listening to this, attempt this at your own risk, okay? Because it's very extreme what I do. I sit and I think about everyone that I care about. My mm. kids, my Man, parents, right. Jake, yep. uh, my girlfriend, all the people in my life that mean something to me. And then I try as hard as I possibly can to imagine what I would feel like if they were all gone right at the same time. Every are, single one stoic. of them. You are the definition of a stoic. And I let that pain emanate within me for five minutes, maybe. And then I take a breath and I remember that none of them are gone, that everyone that I thought about is still here. And I know that Jake is busy because I know that Jake has bills to pay, but I know that when he's not busy, I can talk to him. That's right, Clay. You can talk to me about anything. Well, how did you come up with five minutes, though? You're um, just like, yeah. You can't last much longer than five minutes. After five minutes, it starts to go way downhill. And <laughs> you, said, you crawl. I you, you go from on top of the bed, under the blanket, to under the bed with the blanket, sucking your thumb, crying like a baby. He said, you know, it, this feels good for like five minutes. And, I, and then it doesn't, and really then it doesn't feel, good, feel anymore. good anymore. It doesn't feel good at all. That hurt um, turns to pain and you're like, whoa. But, you know, if if I'm feeling bad about myself, 
then I take a shower. I take a shower. I, it doesn't matter if I've showered three times that day. <laughs> I take a shower and I take my time in the shower. I feel good about the shower that I'm taking. And then I'll probably go out and have a walk or something. Yeah. Because it's really important to identify when you're in that hole, when you're in that that deep dark. It's important to identify when you're there. And it's important to know the tools to pull you back up. Socially recharging or socially taking a break because maybe you're socially overextended or taking a shower because your body just doesn't feel right. So, you know, finding ways to overcome it is really important. What would you say, Brian, are some of the paramount skills that you need to identify and begin to overcome a depression? Yeah, I, I do want to say, like, I love everything that you just mentioned. That exercise, it's it's like classic stoicism, right? And it's really interesting. I, I Like you said, not for everyone. And so hence the disclaimer. Um, but it's it's sort of like, and I, I'll get to the I'll get to the answer in one second, but it's like it's sort of a, a negative reinforcer, right? Like we have positive reinforcers everywhere in the world. It's like work hard, make some money. We are reinforced for that behavior, right? Negative reinforcers are not punishments. They are the removal or avoidance of a negative stimulus. And so when you go into your mind and you say, oh my goodness, like what would life be like if if this person were not here? And then five minutes later you snap out of that and that person still is here, you remove re, you remove that that negative externality or possibility, right? Um, and then all of a sudden you you give yourself a good boost. And I think in general, um, if I'm talking about, you know, answering the question of how how do we how do we evade depression or what are some of the best strategies? This is actually a good one. Um, I'm not necessarily saying that we we all want to sit down and think about our loved ones dying, but some form of negative reinforcer can be helpful. So an example of that, because right, uh, the, I think one of the most important things, not only the, the, the boost that we get when we realize that we've either, you know, removed that negative stimulus or we've avoided it, uh, there's, there's a boost associated with that, but it's also sort of a practice in gratitude, right? So I actually talk about stuff like this in the second book. So, um, and I, you know, the, I love the stuff, like I, I read a lot of books about stoicism and whatnot, and I reference it in the second book. And so the, the example I give or a couple examples is like somebody who is a stoicist who let's say maybe they don't want to do the, the death ex exercise, right? Maybe they say to themselves, look, I've got this really comfortable mattress. I sleep on it every night, but like, I've kind of like gotten way too used to it. And you know, my body, my, our brains, that's just how they work, right? We, we sort of uh, grow accustomed to things. We take them for granted. So tonight I'm going to sleep on the tile floor. And then when I get back to, uh, home tomorrow, I'm going to sleep back in that bed. And you better believe that I am going to absolutely love that bed the next day, because I'm going to be reminded that it is not the floor, right? So things like that are really important, just allowing our, ourselves to reconnect to maybe some of the good things in our lives. You know, this is not one of those exercises where I say, it, it's absolutely not this. It's not, oh, you know, get over it and like, just feel better. Your life is great. Like, there could be a lot of crap going on in your life. It could be, you know, things could really be horrible. But there are still opportunities, maybe one or two small ones, right, to try to suss out like, okay, let me take this activity that Brian is talking about, find a way to reconnect and uh, value the things that maybe I've taken for granted a, a little bit over the years. Yeah, I think gratitude is a huge thing when it comes to overcoming uh, depression. Like, it's interesting that you say stoicism. I identify as stoic. I also read a lot of stoicism books. And it's just biologically humans live a very boring life we are born hopefully we make it to adulthood to maturity we reproduce 
and then we die. And that is the human biological life cycle. That's it. That's every single body. The human biological lifestyle is born, reproduce, die. The only thing that makes our lives better or different is the connections that we make with the time that we have. And so being grateful for those and thinking about the connections that you've made throughout your life is, is one way that I can really like sit back and meditate on the fact that like, yeah, I'm feeling bad right now, but I have these options, right? I have these things that I can do. I have this wonderful podcast equipment, this wonderful friend who runs a podcast with me. Maybe if I work on the podcast a little bit, I'll feel better. There is somewhere a friend or a person that I know that I can have a conversation with and feel better. For a long time in my early adulthood, a big trigger of depression for me personally was the thought of death, of dying. And what you have to remember, everything dies. I'll die. Jake will die. Brian will die. We're all going to die. So the only thing that we can do about that is make the best of the time that we have. I think that's like a, like a, what a lot of philosophers like put into practice too is that death is just a, the next part of life and it sh- isn't something that should be feared it's something that should be embraced because i mean like like really like what's the point right like you're scared for a while and then like you like you die like all of a sudden like it's not your problem anymore like you die like and you're on to the next thing you know what i mean and if, if you spend so much time thinking about your death then you're missing life? you're missing the time that you have here to enjoy yeah, life no, no doubt you're missing the yeah. time and it's important to know right and then um, Everybody loves the sun, right? The sun is great. It's warm. But the sun isn't what makes things grow. You need a little bit of rain, too. So you got to learn to appreciate that rain. Brian, if someone listening right now is is or has struggled with depression, what, what would you be your... We heard Jake's right now. We've heard mine. I'm interested in knowing what yours is. You're the one that's done the research. I'm just some guy. Yeah, so um, it's a tough question to answer because I could talk for hours about it. I think the, the first thing that I want to say is going back to that biopsychosocial model, right? If somebody were willing to do the work, I would say, draw out some sort of map, right? Create your buckets and say, all right, on the biological side of things, am I where I want to be or expected to be? Same thing for psychological, same thing for social. I think sometimes, you know, or, or a good amount of the times, if we can sort of bring ourselves out of the discrepancies that we face in those buckets, whatever, however that manifests itself, whatever that means for the specific person, I think things do get better. Um, The other thing that I want to say that you have touched upon, Clay, and that is a little bit different from, you know, the biopsychosocial side of things is is sort of the notion of, right, getting back into life, enjoying life, um, being present. I will say that when I was going through my depressive episode, and don't get me wrong, like I have I have my good days. I have my bad days. The bad days now, you know, at this point in my life are much fewer and farther and further between than in 2018 and knock on wood. And I I hope it stays that way. But, you know, in 2018, I really, I was struggling very hard and I, I really threw these questions around, right? I was like, I was so far inside my head thinking about death and existence and all that stuff and saying to myself, Oh, you know, I'm reading all this science and whatnot and saying, you know, maybe rather, you know, this was just the negative mindset, right? And I will get back to the positive. But one scary narrative that I had in my head was like, okay, what if we are actually rounding errors in the cosmos? What if we were never meant to be here? Life has absolutely no meaning and no purpose to it. Um, And like life is just a sick joke, right? You just grow up, everybody and everything that you know gets ripped away from you and and you die and that's life, right? 
that was a narrative that I was just stuck on. It was, it was such a shock to my system that just, just like I woke up one day and I was like, it was there. And I was like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what to do with this. And I, and I, I think the reason that it was so hard for me to process was because of that shock, right? I was just living my life. Like, and then all of a sudden it was, it was right there. And I was, I don't, I don't know what to do. And so, you know, I, I could talk about the intricacies of how, you know, the things that I did over the next 12 months after that episode or during that episode or something like that. One thing that was helpful for me and that, that is going to bring me back to this, this ultimate topic I want to talk about in terms of presence was there was a book I read, um, uh, geez, Leo Tolstoy, it's called A Confession. I would not like, I'm not trying to pan him, but I would not recommend reading it because it is so dark. It's a scary book where he had the same, like the same thought process. I read this book and I'm like, dude, am I like Leo Tolstoy reincarnated as a worse writer? You know, because um, he's having this existential crisis of thinking to himself, life is a sick joke. Everybody, you know, dies. Why don't I just kill myself and get it over with? Right. And I was like, oh, my God, what you know, what how did he resolve this? Like maybe if he did, maybe that could help me. And one of the things that he came up with, he said, I didn't get to a point of answering the, the large questions in life. You know, what is the purpose of life? What is the meaning of life? He said what really brought me back was sinking into everyday experiences and just trying to enjoy my life. And then eventually he said, like, you know, I, I don't want to I don't want to falsely quote him here, but he was sort of like, I was trying to find God and see if God existed. And I ended up finding, you know, small tidbits of God in all of my everyday individual experiences in life and reconnecting to the joy of it. And I think if we boil all of that, you know, the positive side of his story down, it's it, it comes down to this this word, right, that we throw around called presence. And it's like, you have to be here in your life. You have to be so focused on what you are doing with the years that you have on this planet. You have to be connected to people that you care about. You have to give a crap about what you are doing, what are you are waking up every day to do. If it's work a job and you don't like it, I hate to say it, but eventually that black pit of despair might be coming for you because if you're not happy, then it's hard to be present. And if you're not present, then you're going, you know, your mind is going to those dark places. So it's really me sort of extrapolating out what Clay had said a minute ago, which is like, you know, if you're so focused on death, then you are missing, you're kind of missing the point and you're kind of missing life, right? And so getting back into that mindset that Tolstoy had, which was to say, I'm going to put these questions down because I can't answer them. But what I can do is I can sink into every moment in my life and try to enjoy that. I, I honestly think that that's the only way to go. You know, I honestly think that the meaning of life is to be here, to be present. Dude, I've already, you've already, I've already told you the meaning there is absolutely to life itself. I, there's no meaning to like life. It's there's no meaning, dude. What life's meaning is, is whatever you assign it. It's up to you, man. Yeah. It's like world is, is literally your oyster. You your life is yours meaning. and the meaning is defined by you. Dude, if your meaning is like collecting Pokemon cards and that is existence, fucking A. Go, go for it. it. Shoot for the moon, dude. Definitely go for it. I, I do think, I, I do want to say like, like one of the things that I have come up with in terms of, you know, getting back to that meaning question, because it's like, if you haven't resolved something, it's possible that you could eventually find yourself going back to it and, and getting stuck again. Um, 
I, I kind of think of it as like on the meaning side of things, like I can't answer that question. I can't know, but I am definitely not going to say that there is no meaning. I'm going to say it's just, it's, it's out of my hands, right? It's like there, there may be a God, there may be order and purpose to this universe. I hope that there is on good days. I believe that there is, uh, the meaning, like again, and kind of like you said, Jake, it's like the meaning is up is up to you, right? If so, if somebody says, "I find meaning in going to church, being part of a religion, believing in God, all those things," then yeah, maybe okay, maybe we're maybe we're splitting hairs on what the definite definition is. Um, but I do believe that you know there there is absolutely meaning in this life, and I I really do hope that there is meaning to the larger picture, right? Um, and one of the things that's interesting, if you Again, not condoning like psych- uh, psychedelic use or anything like that. I am. But okay, <laughs> cool. Yeah, I do but too. Some, but some people who do them, they're like, no, dude, I talked to God and like we we hashed it out and yeah, there's meaning. So what I what I now come to is sort of this conclusion of like, dude, there really could be. Uh, I can't prove it, but like I'm not. I'm gonna do my best not to put myself in that pit of despair by just like you know sort of falling into this nihilistic mindset. I would I would expand upon there is no meaning. I would expand upon that by saying there is no meaning, therefore there is any meaning. You're if right. Nothing matters. Everything does. That's interesting, right? So you sort it's sort of like the, uh, it's almost like that uh, the uh, the image of like the snake eating its tail in a way. If nothing matters, then everything that matters to you matters, and and it's individualized, right? I want to transition into your products because, like I said, I've I've been reading your book. I'm a slow reader. I read a lot of content, so it takes me a long time to read anything. Clay's getting better. He's at a fourth grade level right now. He's working his way up. I'm not smart. (laughs) Wisdom and intelligence. Wisdom (laughs) and intelligence are two different things. Wise, not smart. So one of the things that immediately stood out to me from looking at your website and your products is how different they are from other things that I've read. I've got other books over there um, about anxiety and depression, and they are boring. Uh, they are black and white on the cover. Yours is not. Yours is very uh, appealing to the eye. So what inspired the brand design? And if someone's listening right now, what's the benefit of them migrating to your brand? Yeah, well, I appreciate the um, the compliments on the brand. I, I definitely have to shout out my designer, Ted, who is really talented, uh, came up with the idea. We, we sort of, you know, riffed on you know, we went through this creative process to say, you know, what what emotions do you want to evoke with the brand um, and that sort of thing. I, I, you know, to put it as as bluntly as I can, but there's also a lot of intricacy here. It's like, dude, like I like at my core, like I'm I'm like a metalhead, you know. And it's like, and if you think about, if you look at like some bands, right? If you if you look into, uh, there's a lot of philosophy, there's a lot of angst and stuff in uh, metal lyrics. It's like I try to, in a way, uh, infuse some of that into my writing. And so it becomes almost uh, these these books become my albums almost in a way. Um, the, the sort of intricacies or the extra things I want to put on top of that, right, is like so the brand itself, the the logo of you know, you've got this snake with a brain on it. Right. We wanted to send a lot of different messages there. So like one of the messages is that, you know, obviously in an anxious state, in a depressive state, um, we can lose our way a little bit, like we can lose our energy, right? And I wanted to infuse some of that almost metallic uh, or like punk rock energy to sort of like in in a in a guarded way, right? Like I'm not trying to be like, oh, dude, like come on, let's go, and like you know, just just think your way past it, like. But I wanted to be like like fire people up a little bit, be like, okay, we we can do this, you know, like get get a little bit of that energy behind us. 
uh, one of the other meanings there too is sort of like like it was intentional that it was a snake, right? Because our, our brains are almost like these serpents that coil around us sometimes, right? And we, uh, they, they, they put us in these positions where we're like, dude, we feel trapped, you know? Um, so taming the serpent is definitely another underlying theme uh, to the brand. I would say in general, right? Is like, there is a lot of rainbows and unicorn sort of branding out there in the mental health space. And it's great. Like, you know, if, if that works for people, that's awesome. I just know that there was a little bit of a hole in the market. And, and like you said, people kind of don't want the boring when it comes to this subject. They want stuff that's going to help them, you know. Um, and sure, it helps to be a little bit like catchy, if you will, with the branding. But we were just like, we kind of wanted to, to flip the, 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 the market a little bit on its head and, and stop relying on, you know, uh, necessarily like positive vibes and whatnot. It was just like, we want to we want to switch it up and and catch people's eye in a different fashion. I really enjoy the brand. I think it's great. I love the m- almost minimalistic design on the book cover, followed by a lot of information on the back. That's always good to know. Uh, and your website looks amazing. I think I already said that once. If our audience wants to find your books, wants to find more about you, where should they look? Yeah, best place is getoutofyourhead.com. All one word there, no dashes, no spaces. Uh, you could find me on Instagram too. The handle is get out of your head. Uh, again, no dashes, no spaces. Uh, the, the books are available at like most major online retailers, you know, Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Apple Books, Google Books, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, between all of us, and it's 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 probably it's probably not between all of us. There is a different book out there with the same name that has sold really well. Uh, that has been confusing for a lot of folks in trying to figure out whose book is who. So um, sometimes it's more helpful to go to my website or go to Amazon and type in my name. I would It would be a shame if you found the wrong book. Uh, while I was researching you, I did find the wrong book. But I obviously, I think it's written by a, by a woman, yeah? Yes. Yeah, I, I was very sure that it was not you. Brian, you'd be a pretty woman, I think. <laughs> Although you would be a pretty woman. I, I agree with Jake. <laughs> I think if you were a woman, I'd be too scared to walk up to you in a club and introduce myself. So you'd make me really nervous. That's because you're a coward, Jake. Brian, being in the tech industry, <laughs> what's your thought of the AI evolution? Yeah, this is a rabbit hole to go down for sure. I mean, in the second book, I, I actually call out, I'm like, one of the reasons for, you know, increased levels of despair in today's society is like one specifically, right? Is the fact, is the thought that AI could potentially take our jobs, take over the world. Um, You know, if you read certain books like, you know, Ray Kurzweil and stuff like that, he's like, you know, some of his writing is is older. So like his predictions, the years may not necessarily be true, but I think in general, like some of his, some of what he's saying, it holds some water, right? Where he's, he's sort of like, yeah, you know, we're gonna merge with technology and AI is gonna take over the world by 2045 or whatever it is. Like you go down that rabbit hole, man, you're in a a dark place real quick. Do you think that, AI could help me devise a plan to shave off Jake's oh mustache. I know it. I know it could because yeah, you just go on a chat GPT, type in a prompt, and bang, there you got it. There you have it, folks. Dude, it's really scary the uh, like the deep fakes people do, and now like AI is so good at replicating people's voices from just prompts that you upload. It's very scary. scary. It's very scary. In fact, Jake is an AI. Yeah, <laughs> that was the the big reveal that we had. The big, the big reveal, reveal. Jake is an AI. All episode. 
Thank you for listening to Let Me Ask You Podcast. If you're looking for more of us, you can find us on all socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and Patreon. Don't sleep on the Patreon. And OnlyFans. Also, you Stick can around for Jake Brian's on OnlyFans content. Released, leaked Brian Topics to cure your depression. <laughs> Unfortunately, if you're a fan of Jake's mustache on the OnlyFans, be prepared because I'm going to get some AI and I'm coming for Jake's mustache. Brian, would you rather have a hamster-sized dog or a dog-sized hamster? I got to conceptualize this real quick. Hamster-sized dog, <laughs> dogs. Oh, definitely the small dog. Like Small dog. There you go, folks. Heard, heard it here first. If you have trouble with anxiety and depression, get yourself a do- small dog. I'm joking. Call 988. Thank you for listening. Catch us in the next episode. I'm waiting for Jake to do something crazy, but he seems you, thoroughly, you, thoroughly distracted. You want, of, you want one of my hot takes? I'm tr- waiting for a hot take. I know the audience is waiting for a hot take, and that's why I'm kind of like drawing this out as long Men as I can. Men and women are to... good at different oh, okay. things. There are gender-specific right. roles. Jake that you is canceled. Jake is canceled.